0: Hey, everyone, welcome to the DBIP Group 5 daily Q&A session with Amir and Victoria. This is episode number 1616. We're going strong and uh, we're deep, deep, deep into the SIP the era of COVID. Um, but we are trying to do these question and answer sessions to give you guys answers to intellectual property questions that might come up. Patents, trademarks, copyrights, trade secrets, anything you guys can think of, send them our way. We'll try to give as thorough and complete answers as we can. The, uh, the chief objective here is to really just create some useful content around intellectual property. Um, and so this is, uh, yeah, episode 16. And if you guys have questions, just send it Victoria's way. She's at Victoria at victoria.dbip.com. Um, yeah, so as usual, before we get into our normal schedule episode, uh, Victoria likes to give a quick recap of our yesterday's episode. Yeah, so yesterday I asked the question, who decides if my invention is possible? And you just kind of told us about that. Definitely. And so the short answer is the U.S. patent examiner is going to determine whether or not your invention is patentable. And uh, if you file a trademark, it's a U.S. trademark examiner that's going to decide whether or not your Trademark is registrable in the principal register. And today's question is how is the patent office organized? So this question ties in actually quite nicely to yesterday's question and the reason why. So I'm going to give I'm going to give a relatively brief answer and I'm going to talk more about just strategy um, and, and the importance of understanding uh, a little bit about how the patent office is organized will be helpful in crafting your strategy, your prosecution strategy, and how you go about procuring your patent from the patent office. So, as I've mentioned in past episodes, after you apply, after you submit your patent application, you end up getting assigned an examiner. So, you get your application is given a serial number and it's assigned an examiner. Typically, it takes two to three years. Um, I've talked about in prior episodes about ex- expedited examination. In that case, your application will be assigned to an examiner much, much more quickly. But assuming it undergoes its normal process, your application is assigned an examiner. Now, the examiner ultimately doesn't get to, doesn't get to have a final, final say in whether or not your application is patentable and whether or not your claims are merit and a notice of allowance. But they're, they're essentially the gatekeeper. So they're the ones that have to... Um, that have to do the search and that are going to do the initial examination and they're going to try to identify prior art that might be problematic, okay? But they have supervisors, okay? So a a patent examiner has what's called a supervisory examiner and the supervisory examiner manages many, many patent examiners and it's ultimately the supervisory examiner who sign off the patent examiner has to get So if your objective is to win over the patent examiner so that they can get sign off from their supervisor and enter what's called a notice of allowance on the record. Once you have a notice of allowance on the record, that means that the claims as, as is, as pending on the record are deemed allowable. And if you merely pay the issue fee and complete a a notice of allowance form, then your patent application will issue into a U.S. patent. Now, So how do you get there? How do you get to notice of allowance? Well, you have to understand a little bit about the structure of the patent office and just have at least a basic understanding of the fact that there's supervisory examiners and the supervisory examiners manage and give sign off to the patent examiners. And the patent examiners, again, they are the individuals that, that are assigned an application and perform a search. And they're the ones that have to prepare office actions and determine patentability based on the prior art they find. Now the patent examiners also do another really important thing, and that is, they make sure that your application complies with all the formalities set forth in the regulations. So in the context of patents, the regulations are 37 CFR, and also referred to as the Code of Federal Regulations. And these are the, the rules that the Patent Office has adopted and that satisfied the patent statute 35 USC. So the, the patent examiners are also gonna look for informalities, but ultimately the, the structure and, and why the structure is important, why some understanding is important for you is that you, you wanna make sure that at the end of the day, you understand that the patent examiner has to make a case to their supervisors and allow an application. So remember that the the ultimately claims are what get, what get examined and the claims define the the meet and bounds of your invention so they define the scope of your invention and so again for the patentability purposes your claims have to be novel and non-obvious over the prior art so the patent examiner is going to have to make their case to the supervisor so there are a couple of strategic points that that come into play here so one thing that you have to understand about patent examiners is that they're extremely busy because they have a lot a large caseload okay so anything that you can do and especially using pictures and diagrams to communicate the claimed invention is, all that is gonna be very helpful to you during the prosecution process. So if you can streamline in any way their work, that is something that you need to consider because A, they're so busy, and B, if they can do things on their end to speed up prosecution, the more quickly you're gonna have an issued patent. So a term that people often use is compacting prosecution, or compact prosecution. Now, in order to compact prosecution, you need to have the examiner on your side. So you need to have a US patent examiner that's willing and sees things from your perspective in order to further along and advance the prosecution process and make it go more quickly. So what, is this, what, what, what does this mean in reality? So in reality, what this means is, one example would be, let's say that the examiner cites prior art in, your, in, in an office action, if you can come to an agreement, and this is by phone, by email, or through an examiner teleconference, and again, we're going to have a lot of content on examiner teleconferences in future episodes, but basically, if you can come to an agreement and an, an, and an understanding as to a claim amendment that would get around the prior art and, and render your claims patentable, then the examiner might agree to enter what's called an examiner's amendment and the examiner's amendment is a great great tool because it's huge in terms of time savings you don't have to do anything affirmatively on your end they're essentially agreeing the examiner's agreeing to enter the amendment on their end and so you get to completely sidestep you having to prepare uh, an amendment so if you can get the examiner on your side and th- it's possible that you might be able to compact prosecution and importantly, again, as to the structure of the patent office, it's helpful to understand that ultimately, they're the ones that have to make the case to their supervisors. So it's extremely helpful if you understand that, and if you also understand the fact that they're extremely busy because they have a very large docket. And so anything that you can do to help them streamline the process will also help them. Now, another important thing to understand is that they have a point system so they actually get points for entering notices of allowance. And so anything that you can do to help them streamline their process and, and further and advance the prosecution process, um, the better it makes them look. So that's another key thing to remember. So they have a docket and they have a system on their end that tracks all the cases that they're assigned and all the cases that they have pending and essentially cases that they can move to notice of allowance that gives them points. and so. Understanding that structure as well, so their compensation and how they're appraised by their supervisors is incredibly helpful. So I just want to recap a few few key points. So the few key key takeaways from a strategic perspective that will help you in procuring patents is to understand that one, that patent examiners have supervisors and they have to, they have to get sign off from their supervisor before they can enter a notice of allowance. So one thing you might consider um, that I haven't mentioned before in in this program, but one thing you might want to consider is when you have an examiner teleconference, see if the examiner supervisor can be present because if you can get sign off and guidance and feedback from the supervisor at, at that stage, then it's possible that you can really speed up the entire process. So again, examiners have supervisors, they have to make their case to a supervisor. So keep that in mind, the more persuasive um, that you are in this process, and whether this be with diagrams or pictures or drawings, anything that you can do to make more persuasive arguments, the better it is for you because you are gonna make the examiner's job easier because they're gonna have something they can show their supervisor and they can say, look, no, the applicant made this point. It's really persuasive. Here's what the prior art is. Here's what their claim invention mention is, here's how they defer and look, look at this diagram that they prepared. It's very clear. The differences we need to grant this individual, this applicant a notice of allowance so that they can have their patent. So that's another th- really key thing to understand, make their lives as easy as possible because they're busy and they have supervisors and also understand that they're under a lot of stress and have a point system. And that is ultimately how they're appraised. So keep all these things in mind as you are navigating the patent system and the, uh, the patent office and having a better understanding of how it's organized, how supervisors manage patent examiners, that's all gonna help you in, in crafting your strategy because ultimately they need to get as many cases either allowed or finally rejected as possible. And you're not gonna get a patent unless you, you help them, unless you help the examiner get sign off from their supervisor. So I hope that's helpful. Um, again, we're going to make create a lot of future content, a lot of future episodes on the prosecution process. Um, I think we're going to, I think, have multiple shows just dedicated dedicated to uh, examiner teleconferences because they they can be a useful tool. Um, but again, so Victoria, I just want to remind everyone that Victoria at dbip.com. Please send your intellectual property questions to Victoria and we're always looking interested in having possible guests on as well and yeah ultimately this is about trying to trying to enlighten you on patents and trademarks and copyrights and trade secrets and just make the system a little simpler um i was thinking victoria yesterday's episode we were talking about the fee schedule and boy it's it's sorry not yesterday was it two days ago i think it was on friday friday yeah friday we were talking about the fee schedule and just that I feel like is just it's such a headache to navigate and you think it'd be something much more simple. Um, so yeah, this is episode 16. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we look forward to creating a lot more episodes and creating a lot more content around navigating intellectual property. So thanks, Victoria. Thank you.